Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of the Four Star Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan DuPont, joined as always with Nick DeCola, Tyg Mullen, and Andrew Freeman. Uh, first things first, want to give a huge shout out to you guys, all our wonderful listeners and watchers out there. A um, couple of big milestones for the show. We've actually surpassed 100 streams uh, over the various podcasting platforms, and we've surpassed 15 total watch hours on YouTube, and I think we've cracked 300 total views on our videos. So huge thank you to you guys. Means a lot. We really love doing this. If you can't tell, hopefully that's why you're you're watching is because it's entertaining. But we have a lot of fun bringing it to you every week, and uh, looking forward to doing it more. Uh, with that being said, I think we get to dig into the Cubs. I know I said last week that it was going to be kind of the most uh, disheartened <laughs> we've been so far. But man, we just keep finding better and better ways to lose and making us more and more angry. Yeah, it's the um, number one rule of Chicago sports. It can always get worse. It can just, it can always can. get worse. It doesn't matter how terrible it is in the moment. It could always get worse. It can get worse. It can get worse. Uh, unless you're White Sox fans, because you guys are actually on a win streak. But of course, you know, we're not Sox fans, so we don't talk about it. Um, <laughs> with all that being said, the first series we had last week was a three game set against the Astros. That was a lot of bad. Uh, game one, we lost six to four. Game two, we lost seven to three. And game three, we lost seven to six when we really shouldn't have because we were winning by four runs in the eighth inning. So five, uh, five, oh, five runs. We were running by five runs yeah, five, going five into runs. the eighth inning. Yeah. yeah. Um, so who would like to start with that misery? <laughs> <laughs> okay nick i'm calling on you nick start uh, with the misery I gonna, yeah i was gonna volunteer nick anyways <laughs> okay you're gonna volunteer me okay um yeah it's just really not a great not a great series the one thing that i want to point out the thing that like really frustrated me i'm pulling it up right now is game two um yeah justin Steele going on the mound i know he didn't pitch that well he was uh, i believe he was in the hospital he was sick he had literally the day before like literally the day before um but i have a lot of issues with how that lineup was constructed for that day in particular. And this is just kind of an example of what we've been talking about all year where, you know, you, you're not put, if you're not putting your best players, if you're not putting your most optimal roster out there, these games are going to get away from you. And like, maybe these lineup choices wouldn't have made a difference that day, but you're on a three game losing streak. You have basically your ACE on the mound and you want to give yourself the best chance to win. So what does David Ross do? Uh, the seven, eight, nine hitters were Mastroboni, who was playing second, Eric Osmer, who was DHing, and Tucker Barnhart was catching. And we've, you know, we'll get into later um, how much worse this team is with Barnard catching versus Jan Gomes. So the tie uh, specialty, the, the tie, tie still up. <laughs> tracker still up. Yeah, this was a game that they needed to have, that they needed to win. And I, oh, oh and Madrigal was leading off. So it, all around, just I was not very happy with that lineup in a game that I felt like they really needed to win. Yeah, it was it was a bit rough. Um, I know it, it. I can't remember if it was that game or game three, but Master Boney's actually been doing decent. Um, I think there was one of the games against the Astros. He had three walks in the game, if I remember correctly. So, I mean, he's getting on base, and then I, I, one of the times he stole second. Um, so I, I don't want to 
rag on him too much. I mean, he he earned staying up after the huge flurry of roster moves went down. Um, yeah, it was it was a poorly constructed lineup for sure. Well, I think um, one of the takeaways I get from it, honestly, is just like look at how this team does when there's two injuries, right? And that that for that series, we're still down Horner and Bellinger, and I think that just kind of shows the lack of depth. Which obviously, depth is always a problem. You got you you need you need somebody to be the next man up, like we say. And um, at this rate, it's like if the next man up is going to be eventually like you know Rio's the magical then it's like how about we just let prospects just get a shot at this rate I mean with the way that the season's going it's like why not <laughs> or bring Velasquez back up or bring yeah. Amaya back up or something I mean yeah again we'll we'll get into the yeah we'll, and we'll talk about the catchers later thing, after but... <laughs> yeah I got, I got a whole thing about the catchers after this the game summaries but yeah I don't know man I mean I really, you know, I, I had this thought earlier before we started the podcast was like, if it weren't for the Bellinger signing looking so good right now, um, I mean, honestly, what, oh, obviously Swanson, but Swanson, I don't really count considering it's like, I mean, hopefully he's a good signing, but like, really, if it wasn't for Bellinger kind of being this pleasant surprise, it just, it's kind of a hodgepodge of signings of like, like maybe they'll be better than we thought. And most of them are not, <laughs> they're either performing exactly what we thought or they weren't. And I'm not going to go on Jameson Tyrone Tyone rant right now, but or today I don't think. But uh, I saw that one from a mile away. <laughs> I think we I think we do need to touch on Tyone because I know yeah like, he's he's an interesting one because the underlying peripherals up to this point like they haven't been awful. He's definitely been getting he's had a little bad luck. He's had some bad injury luck, uh, but like games like what is it yesterday? where was it yesterday where he gave up the grand slam or was it the game before i don't remember it was yesterday okay i think it was um, because we yeah. won the first game yeah it's just like when you turn on the game and it's six nothing in the first inning it's like all right great like you can't have that no so i i don't know if he needs like more time off or something like that but he's got to get right because that was a, I think he signed for what, like a four-year deal. A four-year deal, and 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 yeah. he had a good year last year, ERA wise. I didn't do a super deep dive into him because we already got the catcher thing. But um, his like his FIP, which for those who don't know, still is fielding independent pitching. Trying it's a metric to try to measure a pitcher's um, quality of play without taking out the defense behind him. So it's kind of so how many home runs you get and how many strikeouts, how many walks uh his fip has been like a constant like hovering near the four mark his whole career which isn't fantastic but when it's so when, when he has an era like that that's so high it's like around seven at this rate because of yesterday or whatever um that means that typically that means that his defense is letting him down but i mean i don't really think so like i mean yeah sure maybe no. the defense could be better but his location because his fip is still at four so far this year so that means he's getting unlucky somewhere and i really think that he's getting unlucky because He's either walking dudes or he's leaving cutters down the pipe at like 89. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, man, what do you think's going to happen? Well, before we get too much further into Tyone, um, do want to add one, well, a couple more things from uh, the Astros series. Um, you know, like we had mentioned, uh, a lot of credit to Justin Steele. He had a bad first inning, right? I can't remember if it was four or five runs that he gave up in the first. But uh, after that, he was completely lights out. And again, the day after having to get IV fluid treatment because he had a stomach bug. 
Um, David Ross came out and said that he was having flu-like symptoms. And I mean, again, we'll get into it, but pitched again today and uh, looked really, really good. Um, Game three, who was Stroman that started game three against the Astros? Or who was it? No, I think it was... I think it was, was it Smiley? That's started. That it game? was. Yes. Okay. Smiley? Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So uh, game three against the Astros, that's the one that we just completely our bullpen betrayed us. Uh, Drew Smiley was pitching lights out as well. We were up by five runs going into the eighth. Everything was looking good. I'm like, Oh my God, we're going to beat the Astros. And then our bullpen, bullpen just completely imploded, completely imploded. Um, so much so that Keegan Thompson, I know he gave up a two-run shot in the top of the ninth, and then we were still up by one, but there, he left guys on base uh, for Brandon Hughes to come in. Um, it, Keegan Thompson had such an implosion that he got sent down to AAA. <laughs> like, ugh, that was a rough one to swallow. I mean, that one, that's been coming for a while from Keegan Thompson. He's had yeah. a really rough start to the year. I don't have his baseball savant page up. I'm going to pull it, but I know his walk rate's rates really high. His strikeout rate is not what it should be. I don't know if anyone has the numbers, but I can. No, I, well, like, yeah, like you said, Nick, while you pulled it up, um, literally like, you know, cause he made the comment when he got asked about it, he was like, stuff feels fine. I don't know. And I was kind of like, come on, man, let's be honest with ourselves. So I, I went, also went onto his page to be like, where is your stuff at? And it really does kind of match last year. It actually is analytics, right? And obviously what you see on the field does not match analytics, but his analytics are better in terms of expected average, like the opponent expected batting average. So you have to look at that magical walk rate, which Nick is pulling up the real numbers, but yep. the walk rate is way up and the strikeout weight rate is down. It is 15.4%. That is bottom 5% of the league. Last year, it was 8.9%. Yeah. Uh, his strikeout rate's also down last year. It's 22.3. This year, it's 17.6. So uh, he's not striking guys out, and he's walking guys. So, yeah. you know, that's not that's not a great combination. No, that's kind of the opposite of what you want, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, the one... Really bit well. I guess the two brights, or no, three. There were three bright spots from this series. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, first one, Seiya Suzuki uh, hit home runs in three consecutive at bats during this series, which was crazy. Uh, that was a lot of fun to watch. Um, Matt Mervis hit his first career home run. Uh, it was a line drive, literally right at the right field foul pole, and if I'm remembering correct correctly it is kind of a short porch in but nonetheless Mervis at his first home run and uh dig into it a little bit more and talking about the Philly series as well but Christopher Morrell <laughs> holy crap <laughs> dude is freaking on a tear right now and uh that continued God. through both of these series if only there was a some some way for to have Christopher Morrell <laughs> on the roster when we were losing all those one run games to the Marlins you know It'd be nice to have a hitter like Christopher Morrell at that time, you know? I mean, Thank you, Captain Hindsight. <laughs> put into perspective how good Morrell has been this year. His OPS plus right now, I just looked this up, is 261. Yeah. Which is a small <laughs> sample size, obviously. But if, you're, if that were to like even regress a little bit, like that is still like way, way above, way, way, way above, like even an elite player right now he is so just, it, he's crushing it out there right now correct me if i'm wrong but that means he is literally 161 percent better than the league average hitter right 
That, yes. that is correct. Yeah. Okay. That is a drastic oversimplification, but yeah. 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 He's he's yeah. he is good. He's yeah, yeah. And, and, and well yeah. and and it is a it is a small sample size. Obviously, he's not gonna keep this size. up. He's going to cool it off. He's but, gonna cool off and he's gonna start whiffing more, but while it's yeah. happening, it's fun. Yeah. Just, but just here's enjoy the, it. Here's yeah. the thing for me is I, I trust me, I understand eleven games, small, 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 small sample size, right? But you'd figure at some point the home runs in eight of 11 games would have stopped already. You'd think there would be an adjustment. Other team scouting reports would catch up. Like to me, the fact that he has continued this, at least in a sense, I, well, I think a good 11 chunk games of it is still nothing. Stay. Yeah, it's going to catch up at some point. Teams are going to start pitching him differently. And I mean, it's just nature of. You know, it's just nature of the sport. Like eventually, you're going to go through a cold swing. I mean, oh, right. at, uh, we'll enjoy the hot swing while we take look it. At, uh, Jordan, look at another player you mentioned, Say Suzuki. For the first two weeks of the season, it was coming back from his oblique injury, missed spring training, basically didn't get a spring training, and he really wasn't very good at the plate. He, you know, he wasn't hitting, and now he's fine. He's one of the few bright spots on the team. So, you know, like, and that was two weeks. You know, two weeks is nothing in terms of a baseball sample size and like i'm right. not trying to be a downer on it i'm very excited about christopher morrell but you know you gotta temper the expectations a little bit because uh well, it, we're cubs fans we know where this goes <laughs> all i'm saying is it, it trust me i understand that there is going to be some regression and he's going to go through a cold spell i mean that's just how a baseball season goes i just don't think the regression is going to be as drastic as would normally be expected because again, to me, if you're playing, I mean, he's done two full series. To me, I think you'd see what he's done to your other pitchers, especially by game three of the series, and be like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do that. And he's still continuing to just send baseballs into the stands. So I'm not saying he's going to, you know, hit 100 home runs this year. I, he's not going to rival, you know, the 62 that Aaron Judge did the other or a year or two ago. But I, I do think that he's going to maintain exceptional play. Maybe not record-breaking, but I don't think the regression is going to hit as hard as we're kind of thinking it will. That's just me. Yeah. Speaking, of, uh, speaking of trends and, and regression and whatnot, I'm kind of thinking big picture a little bit here. I, I'm looking at a couple of factors here when looking at this Cubs team as a whole. And I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that they've been among the worst teams in baseball over the last few weeks. And – you know, a lot of a lot of that could be looking at like, is this them regressing to what they are as a team in, in general, or is this just a cold spell right now? I find it odd that if you you look at them right now as a profile, they still have a positive run differential yeah. as of right now, but which to me is a better indicator of how good you are as a team in, in many in any sport really, because you know you know it's just I, I think it evens out over the course of the year, but it's one of those odd trends where. They have a positive run differential, but they've just been really struggling over the last few weeks. So do we think the run differential is a better indicator of where this team is at? Or do we think that this team is starting to regress to where they are and this is who they are moving forward? That's tough. I mean, um, just another uh, couple stats that I saw to hammer this point home. I think I sent this uh in our group chat to you guys, but lowest win percentage in the last 30 days, the athletics, mm -hmm. uh, the Oakland triple A's have a 
3.222 win percentage. And 29th in the league is the Cubs with 3.08 win percentage. So aside yeah. from Oakland actually trying to lose results wise, the Cubs have been the worst team in baseball for the past month. On the flip side, uh, this tweet from uh, Brendan Miller on Twitter, the Cubs have the second best WOBA and fifth best pitching war in the National League, but they're still <laughs> six games under 500. So it's it, it is really weird to see like a statistical profile of a team that should be winning a lot more than they are right mm-hmm. now. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And to your point on the run differential, Andrew, I didn't share it in our group chat, but uh, somebody like posted the run differentials of every division and every division is negative except for the AL East in total and, or no. And the NL central, the NL central is positive literally because of the Cubs. <laughs> <laughs> like we're the only reason yeah. we're the only team like, with a positive run differential. Yeah. I, I'd have to double check now of after today because I don't know the Cardinals that might be up now because we cure the Cardinals apparently, but uh, the Cubs have a plus twenty and the division's at plus ten. So the Cubs are doing their part. <laughs> we're and we're what fourth or third in the division. So it's just yeah, it's no, baseball. Hopefully that with the pitching war stats and the Woba stats, that does mean that the regression to the mean is now going yeah. to go back up. Um, hey, the, the Astros are a tough opponent. We 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 ran into the Twins at the worst possible time. The Twins were right, yeah. red hot after crushing the Padres. They stayed hot. And then the Phillies, we should have taken, I don't know. We probably should have taken two out there. I don't know with the Phillies. And now we're going, we're going home against the Mets. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, you'd think, you know, especially in, in baseball where you have 160, 162 games that it would, you know, begin to – work itself out based off of that. But man, the way the season has gone so far, it's just, you, you don't know with the way, the way this team operates. That's, that's the beauty of the game, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. The only thing I know is that the Cardinals are ahead of the Cubs in the standings right now. And that makes <laughs> me so angry. It's just, it's, yeah. it's well, we did. I, I mean, we talked last week that we knew going into this week, we were in a very, very tough stretch right now. Does that mean that some of those games we lost, we should have lost? No, absolutely not. There, I mean, today it was nothing, nothing going into the seventh. Again, bullpen mishaps, giving up a two-run shot um, from our so best bullpen pitcher. Yeah, so game we should have won today. Uh, again, should have won the game against Houston, that where we lost it in the last two innings. But we knew this was going to be a tough stretch. It should be getting better coming out of this stretch. And, I mean, again, all the stats point to this being a good baseball team. All of the stats do. And if baseball has shown us anything as fluky a game as it is, the numbers mean something. There's a reason that sabermetrics have taken off like they have in the last 20, 30 years. There's a reason that that's you know, it, what people – look at more than the eye test nowadays eventually we have to be on the upswing definitely think we still need to work on the bullpen if there's any way we can get you know some bullpen arms we have a pretty solid starting rotation minus tyone at this point hendrix is coming back he's been lights out in iowa i think we'll be okay yeah we got to get the pants going too which again you know morale's looking good um Correct me, did Mervis start today? He did, and he got pulled for um, because a lefty came because Strom came in, so he only got two at bats against the starter. 
and it's it's stuff like that. Like, it, look, I get that you know you want to kind of protect the guy, but how are you going to develop him against left-handed pitching and make him an everyday uh, player? If you're that one, I'm okay with just because yeah. it was zero zero and Ross needed like that one's actually like oh, okay, this makes sense. You're trying to win the game for once, <laughs> right? Okay, fair point. It's not like we were we were down, but um, anyway, I think now's as good a time as any to transition to the Philly series. Yes. Um, so like we had mentioned, we won the first game 10 to one, which is one of the reasons why our run differential is so good. But then we came back and lost game two, 12 to three. And again, we lost today two to one. Um, Canceling out that run differential. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, overall two and seven on the road trip. We've kind of been talking about some of the points already. I don't know. Ty, did you want to say more about Tyone or? No, not no. Well, I don't know if you get, we can do deep dive later. Let's give him a few more starts. Yeah. Maybe I got the catcher thing coming up though. So, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. The one, the one thing I do want to say about Tyone, I can't remember who tweeted it, but there was a really funny picture um, of like, it was just like, this is Jamison Tyone. And it was a picture of Tyler Chatwood. For those of you that were a member Edwin Jackson, and then there was one other guy who I can't remember. Why are you doing this to me? But why are you? Why are you do? Why are you bringing up Tyler Chatwood? I I it thought was a I funny was. Tweet. Yeah, but <laughs> that name causes me so much pain. You know, you know what, guys? We're forgetting the biggest point from this series, which was. Oh, that's true. That's true. Eric Hosmer got DFA'd. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I wanted to wait for that. So <laughs> the the other bright spot, other than Christopher Morrell, just absolutely raking. Apparently Jed Hoyer listens to our podcast and is one of our 30 regular listeners because <laughs> Eric Hosmer is no longer a Chicago Cub. Uh, best of luck to him, but I think his stats. Jed, I got ideas for this franchise. If you're listening, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, like I said, my, uh, my old boss sent an email to Ted Phillips a few years back. So, you know, there are ways. <laughs> Oh, oh man. man. So yeah, that was that was a little rough. Um Tag, I'll give you a little bit of a lead in into your uh Barnhart catcher thing here. So another uh little nugget to steal some phraseology from Boog in the marquee sports booth. Uh they interviewed Drew Smiley during one of the games that he wasn't pitching, and he basically point blank said that one of the reasons he's been doing so good this year is just Jan Gomes being his catcher. It, so it was not, not just that he said that it was like the first thing out of his mouth. Uh, it was like, I no, hesitation. no, no hesitation. It was like the first thing Boo had asked him and he's like, Oh yeah, I'm behind the plate. Like, and then he like went into like a more well thought out answer, but that was the first thing that came to mind for him. So that's definitely noteworthy. And Tag, I think I you mean, can just yeah, take I can it away from here. <laughs> imagine, yeah. I mean, I just imagine being one of the starters in this rotation now and hearing, like, I, I don't know exactly if they have the battery mates figured out, like, consistent-wise, but, like, it's like, oh, great, I got Tucker today. <laughs> you know? <laughs> just, um, for those wondering, the tracker, I think, is correct. I might have messed up one of the games, but, but I have Gomes at 16 and 7 because he's had a couple of stinkers. And that's, I mean, this whole past series has been a stinker. Uh, Barnhart is now 4 and 14 after today. Um, and Amaya is still 1 and 3, so we'll keep Amaya on that list for now. But yeah, so after Eric Hosmer got DFA'd, I was like, well, if Jed listens to the podcast, I gotta give him a reason to get rid of um, Tucker Barnhart. So, <laughs> um, so to kind of go into this little catcher rant between the three of them, 
Uh, defensively, Barnhart is actually our best catcher uh, analytic-wise. And I think that this is a really cool... Because in terms of catching runs and catcher framing runs, he's the best. And I think that this is kind of where... It's one of the situations where you should just start listening more to the eye test, right? When pitchers say that Jan Gomes is the reason why they're having like resurgent careers, you got to listen to that, right? And you can see it when the pitchers are on the mound with Gomes. They typically tend to bring their stuff. Um, but analytically, Barnard's the best. Uh, but it's a pretty slim margin. Like they're all close, man. They're all just kind of like basically dead average, like slightly above. Um, when it comes into pop time, which for those of you who don't know, pop time is when the ball hits the catcher's glove and then uh, and how long it takes for it to hit his glove to hit the second baseman or shortstop's glove on a steal attempt. Uh, two seconds even is league average. And Torrens is actually our best one, but he only had one attempt. Uh, and then Amaya. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was hilarious. Torrens had the best arm. Um, when it comes to blocks above average, Amaya is our best catcher. Uh, historically, Barnhart has been credible, incredible, and Gomes has been pretty good. Uh, I kind of wrote a note of I think they're just too old for this stuff at this point. Uh, you know, when you're in your mid thirties, man, it's harder to bounce up and get the ball. But going, and we've talked about this ad nauseum. But going into some more to kind of double down, um, Barnhart just has a noodle bat. His ex woba is only two fifty two, and his woba is two fifty three. Um, and that's so bad, right? When you when I refer to the Fangraphs guideline chart of what is good and what's bad, that's that's not even on the chart. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's how bad of a woba the dude has. Basically, it just means that he's as close to almost an automatic out as he as he as you can get. He is so bad that he is at Austin Nola levels right now, and I wish that that was a joke because if you've seen Austin Nola stats, he's been atrocious, and Barnhart is right there with them um and when jordan mentioned miles mastroboni mastroboni also has the same woba as barnhart so just uh <laughs> put that out there um talking about the other two's bats gomes bat is much better analytically um so you can kind of live with that he's around the 300 mark for the woba and then amaya who had the smallest sample of course because he got sent back down only had a 258 woba which again is when you hear that you're like well that's the same level as barnhart but his ex woba was 442. Uh, that was because he's getting unlucky with all those scorches that he's hitting. Yeah. If he could somehow, and I don't expect Amaya to do that because it's just, again, we talk about regression. If Maya, though, could theoretically stay at that like 440 mark, that would put him on pace with a guy. You may have heard of him, young talent coming in New York Yankees named Aaron Judge. So, you know, just kind of putting that out there. And that kind of goes along with what Amaya's prospect reports have always said the prospect writers on Fangrass, for example, has him as a bat first backup. Um, and that the guy didn't like his, the way he framed and he didn't like his pop time. And he said that the Tommy John, the, cause of Miguel Maya came off Tommy John for those who don't know would hurt it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and Miguel Amaya's only attempts in the bigs, he threw above average pop time. So clearly he's working on his defense if the bat can be what we think it could potentially be, I mean, even if, you, even if you kind of have a realistic approach of what you think his bat could be, it's still such an upgrade that we've hammered at home a million times. And I'll hammer home one more time. Cause Jed, if you're listening, just bring him up. <laughs> just, you can make, you can make Barnhart go away. It's a cheap contract. Make the problem go away. There's depth behind him. You know, if Amaya or Gomes goes down, obviously you need depth, fine, whatever, but you can find a catcher somewhere, somehow just bring him up. Jed, it's time. And that's all I got for that. To uh, to play off of what you're you're saying, like it 
I definitely understand the statistical analysis and it's always appreciated. And like I said, sabermetrics are a huge part of baseball now, but kind of circling back a little bit, you've got Smiley saying that uh, Jan Gomes is the reason he's been throwing so well, which is game calling. You've got before he also got sent down, you had Hayden Wesneski saying he was blown away with Miguel Amaya's game preparation and game calling. Have you heard anybody say anything at all about Tucker Barnhart's game calling ability? Because I have not. You know, it's one thing if you want to rely on the metrics, and that's great. But again, the job of a catcher is to be the quarterback on the baseball diamond. And if you've got a guy that isn't calling games well, which I think the win-loss record would indicate, you got to change it. Yeah, and I don't know with Pitchcom, pitchers can call their own games. I don't know on the Cubs who does. I haven't looked into that, but yeah, who knows? Because like, I don't know, maybe even when Barnhart gets behind there, maybe the pitcher who normally would just let Gomes or Amaya take care of it is like, I'll call it today. And maybe that's why they're getting rocked a bit more. I don't know, right? But clearly, yeah, like well, you it, said. <laughs> like I, and like almost, I just said, imagine getting this guy on your like on your call sheet for the day. Yeah, it, almost like a scene out of Bull Durham. If any of you have watched one of the greatest baseball movies of all time, if you haven't seen Bull Durham, you need to go freaking watch Bull Durham. Highly recommend it. But there's a scene in there where the whole story is there's a, a rookie pitcher and a seasoned veteran catcher who's been in the minors for like 10 years. And they're doing the classic like catchers throwing signs down and the pitcher shaking them off. And he's throwing signs down and the pitcher shaking them off. And he goes up and he's like, all right, you want to throw the fastball? Throw the fastball. And it gets freaking rocked. Home run. Hits the bowl. Guy wins a free stake, right? So one of the things Drew Smiley said in the aforementioned uh, sideline interview that we were talking about is that normally Jan Gomes calls the game and he's like, well, you know, I might shake him off like three or four times in a game. But, you know, there will be a time where I'll really want to throw a certain pitch and Jan doesn't want to do it, but you know, there's the pitch clock now. So I throw the pitch, it gets rocked and I go, okay, I'm not calling my own pitches the rest of the game. So seriously, like the dude knows how to call a game. Amaya has shown that he also knows how to call a game. I think that's the only logical explanation for why Tucker Barnhart's numbers are so much worse win loss wise than the other guys. Yeah. And I think, Kind of, um, that's it's a, to wrap it up. We just gotta wrap it up now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Nick, it, it looked like you wanted to say something, and I kind of stepped on your toes a little bit. Did you want to add anything before we move on? Um, the only thing I want to point out is that, uh, game one of the Philly series, uh, Nico came back, and I think he had like three hits that game, drove in a couple runs, and I think it's good that he's back. So Magical is not leading off anymore. Absolutely, yeah, thank you, Nico. Yeah, and I also want to say <laughs> that if, uh, if uh, after this week, uh, Barnhart gets DFA and uh, Amaya gets called up, I'm wholly crediting Tig for it. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, yeah, we will be insufferable. It's going to be a weekly segment. Who do you want? Who do you want the Cubs to DFA this week? <laughs> <laughs> Just you guys wait till my 182 today. Oh, oh boy! Oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into the 180s, we got a few more things to cover. Um, so it, just to summarize everything, uh, again, the road trip, unfortunately two and seven, uh, and the one bright spot, Christopher Morrell, some rattle off some stats here, eight home runs in 11 games, 381 batting average, 1361 on base plus slugging 261, uh, on OPS plus, 
Um, anybody happen to have the schedule up right now? I forgot to do that, but I'm going to look it up right now if nobody does. Just to preview. Uh, it's the Mets and the Reds series. This week. Yeah. We're Mets off, and the Reds. Okay. Off tomorrow and then uh, three game sets at home. Yep. All at home. Okay. So, yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday against the Mets. Um, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday against the Reds. Hopefully, I'm not so sure how it's going to go with the Mets. That could be 50-50, but we should be able to just absolutely stop on the Reds and make all this bad juju go away. <laughs> um, so nothing nothing really to cover on the Bears this week. Off-season workouts. I haven't heard any crazy news. No. Um, but we will transition into the Bulls here. Uh, Andrew's been kind of saving his voice for this one <laughs> um, to kind of summarize. Yeah, I got to stay nice and fresh. Uh, yeah. Bulls, unfortunately, got the 11th pick, correct, is what they won in the lottery? Well, the, well, the Magic well, got the Magic lottery. won it. Well, that's that's sure what I mean. The Bulls, the Bulls <laughs> got the 11th pick, which means it immediately got transferred to the Orlando Magic. So we won the no picks in the draft. Yep. So I think Andrew's got a few things to uh, – discuss there and, and talk about how the Bulls should proceed moving forward with well, yeah. uh, no draft picks. Well, yeah, no Victor Wambanyama for the Bulls, which honestly th this organization doesn't deserve Victor Wambanyama. <laughs> they probably they probably ruined him anyway, so it's probably a good thing in hindsight. Um, did you, By the way, did you guys see the clip of Mark Eversley when the NBA announced that? They announced Orlando the, the Orlando Magic getting the pick. Yeah. And Eversley like looked like he was ready to like punch somebody when that happened. Just like, dude, what did you expect when you made the trade? You like you made the trade knowing that this is going to be a possibility. Like, what was, was you mad about? It was so weird to watch that reaction because it's like you know there's like an eight percent chance that Correct. you're keeping this pick. Otherwise, yeah. like it's gone. It's basically gone, and you're mad about it. Like I could understand it if yeah. it was the other way around, but like, come on. That guy plays the slots. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, too much time at Rivers. But I mean, it, it just shows the it just goes to show the mindset of this Bulls organization. Where I mean, I'm just not sure what direction they want to go in for this team. But but now that that's all out of the way, we can look at the Nikola Vucevic trade in totality now. And uh, spoiler alert: it's it's not yeah, looked was, great for no. the Bulls I because say, I think do we they have were, to do that. <laughs> we're, we're gonna do it. All right? We're gonna go ahead and do it. So strap in. So I'm gonna pull up. Uh, I had it up here for a second. I think I accidentally got out of it. But I've got I've got it up, it up if you want me to. No, I got uh, it here. Okay. Oh yeah, go ahead, Nick. Why don't you Why don't you go through it? Okay. So the Bulls. Just to recap, the Bulls traded uh, Wendell Carter Jr. Otto Porter, their 2021 first, which ended up being number eight overall, and their 2023 first-round pick that was lottery-protected, which is now the 11th pick, mm -hmm. to the Orlando Magic for uh, Nikola Vucevic and Al Farouk Aminu. So this uh, this was not a great trade. If no. you look at – just look at uh, Vuce versus Wendell Carter Jr. since their trade. Their points per game, uh, Vuce has 18. Wendell Carter Jr. has had 15. Rebounds per game – uh, Vooch is 11. Wendell Carter Jr. has 9.5. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. has a slightly better field goal percentage. Um, steals, blocks, turnovers, it's all basically the same. So, like, slightly better offensive upside over Wendell Carter Jr. If this trade was one for one, Vooch for Wendell Carter Jr., like, 
it it's like a slight win for the Bulls. It's Barely. break even. It's break yeah. e- it's break even. But add into that that you gave up two first round picks. Yeah. And you won what uh and you just didn't get a playoff series win out of it. Didn't get a playoff series yeah. win. It's uh it's it's not good. Yeah, because the whole expectation with the trade when they made it was that they were trading Vucevic with an attempt to get into the play-in that year, which did not happen. They actually think they ended up getting worse over the back half of the season. And to kind of add to your point, Nick, about comparing Vucevic and Wendell Carter Jr., like the point of the trade was that Vucevic, being a former All-Star, would have a positive impact on the team as a whole and be kind of be that second star to Levine and eventually that third star when they acquired DeMar DeRozan. And here's the thing about Vucevic during his time with the Bulls, the Bulls during the time that Vucevic has been on the team, uh, when Vucevic is on the floor compared to when he's off the floor, the Bulls are nearly six points per 100 possessions worse with him on the floor compared to him off the floor. And that's in over 6,000 minutes played. So that's a large sample size of Vucevic being a negative impact on the team's ability to um, win games and, and basically be a positive influence on the game. Do you want to know what Wendell Carter Jr.'s plus minus is for the Magic? My guess would be better than that. Um, so during his time with the Magic, during that same time span, in over 4,000 minutes, so a smaller sample size, but the Magic are four points per 100 uh, possessions better when, when Wendell Carter Jr. is on the floor compared to off the floor. So the Magic, even though they're a worse team than the Bulls, obviously, Wendell Carter is making much more of a positive impact on his team despite not playing in more of a prominent role for them. So he's bringing better defense. Swing. Yeah. So he's bringing better defense to the table than Vucevic, which is probably the biggest flaw with Vucevic on this roster is that he's just not a very good defender. He doesn't protect the rim. And they're using him as a kind of like a pick and pop, you know, outside shooter when really his, his game is more about getting on the block and kind of running your offense through him. And you're just not going to do that with Levine and DeMar DeRozan. And here's the other kicker with the trade, uh, the magic with that first, first round pick that they got from the bulls, they ended up selecting Franz Wagner with that pick. And Wagner looks like he's going to be a really good player for them. So not only did, you know, the bulls miss out on, you know, potentially giving up the better player, you know, from a long-term standpoint there, but they gave up the opportunity to draft Franz Wagner, who looks like he's going to be, I don't know about an all-star type of player, but he looks like he's going to be a really, really good player for the magic long-term, which just is another thing. And I can't wait for the magic to see who they pick this year to kind of, you know, twist the knife a little bit, because that's going to be, that's going to be something when they get their selection. Cause this year is supposed to be a really strong draft this year. So you got to love it. The Magic could forfeit that pick, and this is still a disastrous <laughs> trade for the Bulls. Just, yeah, it's it's just it just adds more salt in the wound. And here's the thing: like Vucevic could very well leave in free agency this offseason. Like I don't know why the Bulls would want him back because there's really no point in running this thing back anymore. But yeah, they're basically they they basically got two and a half years out of Vucevic. He was a negative impact for them on the floor. He didn't fit with the star players they acquired. And the Bulls, what did they get out of it? They got, you know, a first-round exit against the Milwaukee Bucks and a play-in loss, you know, to the Miami Heat. And that's about it. You know, it's just it, – it just goes to show that I, I just don't trust this front office. And I knew – and it's weird because when the trade first happened a few years ago, you know, the initial response from a lot of Bulls fans was very positive because – 
you know, it, it signaled that this front office would be more aggressive about trying to win games. They weren't going to be content with losing and, you know, they weren't going to try and, and, you know, sell up for tanking and whatnot, which honestly selling up for tanking would have been the better move. And I was calling for that all along during that time. But the initial response from Bulls fans is positive. And it's kind of funny to see that turn around on its head um, to now where all the Bulls fans kind of all recognize that it was a really bad trade for the Bulls, not only in the short term, but long term as well. It's just, and I, I had a negative opinion about it at the time. I think I kind of commented about being positive because everyone else was being positive about it. I kind of got caught up in it, but yeah, I, 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 I should have stuck with my original. <laughs> I should have stuck with my gut on that one. It's, you, you softened the blow to try to be optimistic. Yeah. I and, tried to be optimistic for the first yeah. time about this godforsaken organization for the first time in years, and look what that got me. Pain. So, not Jimmy Butler. Not Jimmy Butler, which we'll be talking which, about. Later. Okay, so I want to point out, I know we're ripping on the Bulls, and I'm wearing a Bulls jersey. It is a Jimmy Butler Bulls jersey. That is the only Bulls jersey I have, and it is in support of, I can't believe I'm saying this, but go Heat in the finals because Jimmy <laughs> Butler's the man. That's why I'm wearing it. No other reason. I, I'm with Andrew. The, the Again, I, I'm a casual Bulls fan, so I, I didn't know how horrible all of these moves were, but I have become very educated in listening to Andrew <laughs> <laughs> about this past month. And that is – they're setting themselves up for such failure. I mean, it's it's crazy. It. I don't it's know. Reinsdorf move, man. Seriously, you know? it's just, how do you ever think setting yourself up for zero picks or even the potential of zero picks in a draft is a good idea? Yeah, I, I'm not um, going to spoil it, but I'm going to be talking with Jimmy Butler for my 180, so I won't spoil spoil that real quick. But I'll just say that Miami Heat did go up three nothing in the series, which uh, Nick Tens just pointed out in our group chat here. So. No. Um, Pretty pretty cool for Jimmy Butler there. Three percent, three percent chance of winning they gave him. <laughs> <laughs> and Again, I think the Celtics were still favored by ESPN to win the yeah. series, even after going down 2-0. So ESPN has to fix their analytics modules because they're not quite accurate, not well, by a it, long shot. You know, it, you want to really put a nail in the coffin of the front office making bad moves. Why did we ever get rid of Jimmy Butler? <laughs> I mean, the guy has gone on to do nothing but win since he left Chicago. Well, I'll explain why, but I'll, I can't I'll wait. I'm excited. I, I didn't even mean to do that, but I guess that was a good <laughs> tee up for you. Um, we're just we're just you know getting the audience ready for yeah. for that. The anticipation is going to be growing a little bit. Yep. Um, the last thing I wanted to dig on with the Bulls, um, I have heard rumors on Twitter that you know, they might be trying to trade with the trailblazers for the number three overall pick. Andrew, do you know anything about that? Do you think it's a good idea? What do you think we should do to try and make this team better season where well, we have zero draft picks? Yeah. Well, obviously, I mean, if they can get the number three pick somehow, I would love to do it. I don't know how it makes sense for Portland, although they're kind of in a weird spot as an organization where they don't want to give up on trying to build a contending team for Damon Lillard, but they really should have figured out by now that, they are like years too late on that. Like the ship has sailed a long time for Portland. They, they should be blowing it up with Damon Lillard and, and just do him a solid and get him out of there for how, lo- for how loyal he's been to that organization. Like they should do him a solid and, and trade him to a team that will actually be contending. But um, yeah, I, I think for the number three overall pick, you know, I don't think it's going to be odd because you have to factor in salary. Um, and you have to match salary when it comes to these trades. The NBA has some of the weirdest trade rules out there, so I don't even want to get into that at this point. 
but I mean, the, the options that you're looking at here are you're either trading DeMar DeRozan or Zach Levine, and you're hoping that's enough to get that number three overall pick. I'm not really sure that's the case. Like DeMar DeRozan, I don't think he's worth the number three overall pick probably um, in a vacuum because he's an older player. He's going to the final year of his deal. I don't think, I don't think the Portland would be willing to give that up uh, for DeMar DeRozan. So the most realistic option then would be Zach Levine and I mean, what Zach Levine's trade value at this point, and would would the Trailblazers even see that as re- as like even being healthful? Because Levine doesn't really add something they don't have. Like they already have, you know, Anthony Simons and you know Shane Sharps, like some young guys at the at the second guard spot who can score. And Damian Lillard is a scoring guard, so I, I think Zach Levine would be kind of redundant for them. So personally, as I'm talking through it here, I, I just don't think it'd be realistic for them. Although I would, I would support that trade. Yeah. As I, as I like to say about the bulls, there's always a disconnect between what they should should. do and what they are going to do. Yes. And as we've said on this podcast before, and as you could probably figure out, we want them to blow it up. We want them to Mm -hmm. start from scratch, build a contender from the ground up. Um, And I mean, getting number three overall would be really nice. Again, I'm kind of with Andrew. I don't know if there's anybody on the bulls roster that, portland would want enough to send number three um but yeah no i i would abs- absolutely love it if that happened i think yeah. they should try to trade for it you know you never know but oh, you always um, got to make the phone call make the yeah. they can say is yep. no you're an idiot get out of here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is probably what's exactly gonna happen, but, but whether they get it or not they should blow it up they should yeah. just blow it up but this is the thing with the roster, and this is the last thing I'll say in the Bulls before we move on here. But, I mean, this is the position that they put themselves in. They don't really have many players outside of Levine that have a ton of trade value. They don't have picks. They don't really have money to spend to upgrade the roster effectively around the guys they have. So they're kind of in a spot where they're stuck. They don't have a path to get a start talent, like a true like superstar talent that can make a difference. And – you know, they're not in a spot where they, they're in a spot to be able to, you know, trade off guys and get a ton of assets to rebuild this thing and do it in a semi quick manner. Like they're it's gonna be a rough few years and either they're gonna continue to double down in this core and be a mediocre team or I, I don't even know what the alternative is because there's just it's 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 looking bleak, guys. They're it's one of the worst uh situations of any NBA franchise right now. It's it's tough. Yeah, I think that's that's the hardest part to to look at right now is there really is no clear cut option for how to get out of this hole that they've dug for themselves, and yet everybody just got extended. So, don't I guess we will. <laughs> I guess we'll uh, wait and see what happens this Bulls off season. Um, nothing really to cover on the Hawks either. It's it's pretty much uh, Cub Central, and then again, since the lottery happened, the Bulls don't have a pick. We covered that a little bit. Without we'll, further have, ado. we'll have Hawk stuff for you next week, fans. Yeah, we yeah, will. We'll have some Hawk we'll, stuff. We'll have periodic complaining slash uh, <laughs> praising Connor Bedard for existing. You know, do that. <laughs> yeah. We need to come up with a good nickname for him. I mean, McDavid got McJesus. There's got to be something we can, we can come up with. Um, so anyway, <laughs> with that all being said, we will move on to our four stars of the week. And first up, we have Mr. Andrew Freeman. Feel free to take it away. 
Yeah, our first uh, star of the week are the Baltimore Ravens for signing Sam Mustafer and getting him out of Chicago. <laughs> uh, the nightmare is over, Bears fans. We no, have, no longer have to watch Sam Mustafer start at center for the Chicago Bears and don't, no longer have to watch him get Justin Fields uh, killed in the pocket. So that is a positive for this organization. Uh, you know, the center spot is still not solidified long-term for the, for the Bears, but they're heading in the right direction. And look, I don't want to rag on Mustafer too much because as an undrafted free agent for him to start as many games as he has and for him to continue to be in the NFL, that is an accomplishment for him individually. I would just rather it not be on the bears. So uh, <laughs> thank you Baltimore for uh, taking him off our hands and, you know, hopefully Sam Mustafer, you know, I, I wish the I genuinely w- wish the best for him in his pursuits elsewhere in the NFL. Yeah. And he's going to become Jason Kelsey. Oh my God! As a complete flip side to Andrew wishing him well, I will add the other thing that we have to look forward to with him not being here is his mom tweeting about everybody attacking him and oh standing God. up for her son and you know her precious little three hundred pound son. That don't don't even get me anyway. started with his uh, his, <laughs> his dad having burner accounts. You know. Oh, I forgot about that too. Was this yeah. a thing? I totally it missed was, that. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, literally his mom. So there were burner accounts to say, like, oh, it's not it's not Sam's fault. He's a great lineman. And, like, it, one of the accounts was just straight up his mom standing up yeah. for him. I don't know if it was dad's mom, but he had family members. I, with I mean, accounts. I get it. Yeah. If that's your kid and he's getting destroyed by Bears Twitter, I get it. But, like, come on. <laughs> ma'am, yeah. ma'am, look at the tape. <laughs> <laughs> that one tape where he just goes in a completely like i don't even remember who it was against but he goes just in the completely opposite direction just opens a lane for the defender to go in and go for fields it, it was so bad well my favorite clip is the one against the packers week two where he gets obliterated by kenny clark and espn their pass uh, block win rate model still counted that as a pass block win which kind of shows how reliable that statistic is which it's not it's a bad statistic. <laughs> By the way, I have my own pass block win rate statistic, which you can te- check out on the Bear Report. A little self-plug there. Oh, there we go. Actually, yeah, come football season, check out Andrew's uh, Twitter. Some of the stats he does with the line is is really top-notch work, really interesting stuff. So, yeah, I definitely definitely want to promote that. Uh, anyway. It's really interesting to pay attention to. Yeah. Anyway, enough about me. Let's get to our second star of the week. Moving on. I think, uh, Ty, you're up next with our number two star of the week. Yeah, second, hey, star, of the second week. star of the week. We've given him a star already, but we'll give him another one. Matt Mervis hit his first home run this week on a kind of a pitch that was pretty pretty darn inside, and he just hit a line drive to the foul pole. He's been struggling since getting that call up. I think, you know, something that we are all prepared for. Uh, but he did his first home run. So, Matt Mervis, this star is for you. All right. Next up, we got Nick with our third star of the week. Our third star of the week is Seiya Suzuki. He is the first Japanese player in MLB history to hit three home runs in three consecutive at-bats. Just goes to show you that, hey, if you've got a historically pretty solid hitter struggling for two weeks, you shouldn't call it a DFA him. Like, you know, just goes to show you that he'll figure it out. And I would like to point out the other people that would have potentially been eligible for that statistic, not that he was really a power hitter, but uh, Ichiro Suzuki did not do that. And Shohei Otani did not do that. Yeah. Seiya Suzuki yeah. on the Cubs. Shohei still could. He still could, but he wouldn't be the first to do it because uh, they already took that yeah. title. And that, that's is taking, yeah, and MLB is getting a huge influx of Japanese players as the years go on, so that'll be exciting. Yeah. 
All right. And I will take the last star of the week. Uh, it's got to go to Christopher Morrell. As we mentioned a few times, he's been on an absolute tear. Uh, home run in four straight games, eight home runs in his first 11 games. It just statistical freak right now. And we're hoping it will continue as long as humanly possible because we definitely need those at-bats. So, Christopher Morrell, you are a are our final star of the week. Moving on to our SWF, uh, Nick has to eat one here. It's not too terrible, though. So. Yeah, I do. So uh, basically last week, uh, Jordan mentioned the Chicago Wolves and asked who their uh, NHL affiliate was. And I, I didn't know off the top of my head. I said Nashville for some reason. Um, so basically for the past three seasons, they were Carolina's affiliate. They But in the 2020-2021 season, they acted as Nashville's secondary affiliate because their affiliate was the Milwaukee Admirals, and they didn't play that season, I, I assume, due to COVID. Um, so the Wolves were like their secondary affiliate. I don't know exactly how that worked. However, starting this season, the Wolves announced that going forward, they are going to be the first AHL team since 1995 to be independent. So they're not going to have an affiliate, but they're still going to play in the AHL. So, uh yeah. In short, they don't have an affiliate, and I so, didn't know that. So for us <laughs> casual hockey fans, does that mean that they don't have – like nobody can get called up from the Wolves? Like, like it's just career they, minor leaguers? I, I, think they, I think they can like sell contracts to NHL teams. They can probably trade that makes sense, for people, okay. but like they're not – it's not like, like the Rockford Icehawks. They can only go back and forth with the Blackhawks. So I would – I think the right. wolves like okay. they they're focused on putting out the best hockey that they can rather than just being like a farm team, which is which kind uh, of honestly cool. the the wolves have consistently been one of the better teams in the AHL. I know they've won a few they, Calder Cups. They won the Calder Cup let not this past year, but the year before. So hey, if yeah. it works, it works. Good for them. Yep. Now on to our fan favorite segments. And I'm hoping these are good so that we can continue to post clips because <laughs> as much of a pain in the rear was for all the editing this week, it was really cool being able to put out all those videos, kind of draw up some, some more viewership and everything. Uh, but we'll get on to the complete 180 for this week. And first up, we have Andrew, who, if you couldn't tell, was chomping at the bit to talk about some Jimmy Butler stuff. So if you want to go ahead, take it away. The floor is yours. Yeah, absolutely. This will be a Jimmy Butler appreciation segment right here. Uh, so Jimmy Butler has completely just taken over the playoffs. Outside of Nikola Jokic for the Denver Nuggets, he has been the best player in the playoffs across the NBA this year. He has the Miami Heat, who were an eight seed and almost didn't even make the playoffs in the play-in. He has them one win away um, from being in the NBA finals, which is just wild considering how bad Miami was for a good portion of the regular season. But man, Jimmy Butler has been a killer in this playoffs. So you look at his regular season stats this year, he was averaging 23 points a game, six rebounds a game, five assists on about 64% true shooting, which for those who don't know, true shooting is a better measurement to um, kind of measure all around shooting efficiency for a player and scoring efficiency. Um, and Jimmy Butler really good across the board, nearly two steals a game as well during the regular season. But during the playoffs, his scoring has gone through the roof here. This isn't quite updated because, you know, his stats aren't here for tonight's game, but he's averaging 31 points per game in the playoffs uh, with nearly seven rebounds, six assists, 
on 60% true shooting and over two steals a game, which leads the NBA playoffs in steals per game. So he is a menace on both sides of the court right now. And how many iconic moments has he had throughout the course of these playoffs? Like first against the Bucks, um, with that incredible like shot to, to send the, that game to overtime where they kind of had that out-of-bounds play. They lobbed it up to him. Did a little bit of a push off on the Bucks player, but um, tipped the ball in for that incredible bucket. Um, and then just completely destroying Grant Williams in the last game against the Celtics, where Grant Williams started tra- talk, uh, talking trash to Jimmy Butler. And if there's any player to poke the bear against, you do not want to do that against Jimmy Butler, man. Like, come on. Like, you got to have a little bit more self-awareness there, Grant Williams. That was not a great, not a great job by him. And this goes all back to, you know, I got to bring it back to the Bulls here because Jimmy Butler was was a bull. He defines what you want out of Chicago basketball player. He is hardworking. He's gritty. He's a tough-nosed guy. He is a guy who's not afraid to get in your face. He's not afraid of the moment. Um, he is everything that Chicago represents, I think, or at least what Chicago fans want their stars to represent for their city. And and the Bulls traded him away for a really underwhelming package. At the time, they traded away for Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, who has turned into a low-level all-star player, I'll give him that, and a first-round you know, pick swap, essentially, which turned into Larry Markin, who's a good player, but not in the Bulls anymore, essentially. So they basically just got Zach Levine out of Jamie Butler, which is a pretty underwhelming haul considering what NBA star players are, are traded for right now. And what Jimmy Butler is proving – in spite of the Chicago Bulls organization, um, or I guess to spite the Chicago Bulls organization, he <laughs> did not commit to Jimmy Butler. Um, he's proving that despite not having a second star on the Heat, uh, despite having, I think the Bulls have, or the Heat have, I have, I have to wrap it up here, but he have like seven undrafted players in their, in their lineup right now on their roster. Um, he, he's proof that if you have an organization and leadership from ownership to the GM to the head coach, that are committed to winning and aren't afraid to be challenged by their star player who's going to push them every single day, that you can have great thing. You can build a great team uh, with Jimmy Butler as your star player. And the Bulls did not recognize that. Gar Packs were a bunch of cowards. Reinsdorf was a cheapskate for not wanting to pay Jimmy Butler to the max. And the only reason why they traded Jimmy Butler was because <clears throat> Reinsdorf was cheap, did not want to pay the mask. Uh, Gar Packs felt challenged by the fact that Jimmy Butler was not content with their mediocrity. And it's a shame that Jimmy Butler isn't doing these iconic playoff moments in a Bulls jersey because gosh dang it, the city of Chicago deserves it, but Ryan Storff doesn't. So that is my rant on Jimmy Butler and the Bulls. And, you know, I hope that Jimmy Butler can get this team to the finals. And I, I hope that Nuggets and Heat is going to be a, a fun final series. Well said. Uh, only thing I have to add, you don't earn a nickname like Jimmy Buckets by being a mediocre basketball player. So It's Jimmy freaking Butler now. That's the nickname. Uh, Jimmy <laughs> G. Buckets shout out, and Jimmy, Jimmy, shout out Jimmy Butler. Timothy, Jimmy Butler. How about that? <laughs> Timothy Butler. <laughs> oh. All right. So uh, I'm going to go second because just – this is going to be an informative 180, not necessarily like a rip anybody a new behind. Um, for those of you that don't know, and I'm going to get a laugh out of the other three guys here, I am a NASCAR fan. So, yes, I do enjoy watching cars turn left in a little Sunday. 
It's entertaining to me. I've been a fan since I was a little kid. It is what it is. NASCAR had their all-star weekend today, and they did some real freaking cool. Uh, they were at Wilkesboro Speedway today, which NASCAR has not been at since 1996. Yes, the last time they raced at this track, none of the four of us were alive. And NASCAR's been going through an identity crisis for a few years now. They've started adding a bunch of road courses when it used to be there were only two, uh, two per year on the calendar. This year, they're up to seven road courses. Actually, if you guys don't have anything going on on the 4th of July, they're doing a Chicago street race. They're really shutting down streets in Chicago for NASCAR to come to town and drive on the streets. So they're doing that. They were getting rid of a bunch of short tracks uh, around the time we were probably 10, early to mid 2000s. They started doing a lot more, they call them cookie cutter, one and a half mile ovals because all the tracks looked the same. The racing's been horrible. People, old school have been feeling kind of disenfranchised. And so finally NASCAR has been, they went back to a fan favorite that got taken off the schedule in 1996. And I got to say, it was really freaking cool. Um, the racing was really good. This was the first time that tire has been a factor, which is a huge factor normally. But with the newer cars that they've had, it's been less exciting. So you had cars slipping and sliding all over the track. You had people actually having to be wheelmen, actually drive the car instead of just, you know, pushing and shoving each other out of the way. So um, highly recommend if you want to look at just like a cool retro track. Uh, I believe NASCAR always puts their full race highlights, and I'm sure they definitely will for this weekend up on their YouTube channel. Um, so if you want to take a look recommend it. It was really cool. I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, but I, you know, you can tie that into a lot of other sports. I know baseball has been going through an identity crisis lately, trying to generate new fans while holding on to the old ones. And so, you know, I think hearkening back to your past is a, is a kind of cool way to do it. So there's my NASCAR. Moments. <laughs> yeah. For what, I mean, for what it's worth, that does sound a lot more fun than typical NASCAR. So <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it was a really cool experience. And I mean, dude, the track, they literally, they haven't paved it since 1985, I think is what they said. Like, it's still the same asphalt. They just went in and in places where they're, they needed to patch it, they patched it. And I mean, they're going to repave it. But for today, I mean, dude, it was just like driving on sandpaper. So it made things kind of interesting. I think next up, we have Tig. We do. If you would like to take your three minutes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so there's been a lot of stuff going around on Twitter. If, you know, all the Cubs fans want Otani. I want Otani. We want Otani. He's supposed to be a free agent after the season. Um, we'll see if he even makes the free agency. If he does, I hope, I pray that the Cubs make a big bidding on him, a big more. I don't know. We'll see. Anyways, I decided to take it in my own hands, though. And he's the most realistic simulation baseball game I know to finish this Cubs rebuild. And it'll be the show 23. Now, you may be wondering, <laughs> Tig, my buddy, why not use out-of-the-park baseball? Because I didn't want to. Um, so <laughs> my first, so what I did to set up the franchise was I, my goal was how many years after getting Otani in 2024 would it take the Cubs to win a World Series? Uh, I turned forced trades on just in case something weird happened and I was going to like trade away like our 
fifth overall prospect for him, but didn't have to. He made it to free agency. First order of business, years 2023, I DFA'd Hosmer. Uh, the second order of business was I DFA'd Torrens and Rios. Uh, just a couple highlights from the sim because I just sent the entire 2023. Say I got hurt, some Brennan Davis came up automatically and he started raking. So I was like, whatever, you can stay up here, dude. Um, and another funny sidebar I saw was the Rays traded for Willie Adamas from the Brewers, which for those of you who don't know, the Rays two years ago in real life traded away Willie Adamas to the Brewers. So I thought that was hilarious. That cracked me up so much, especially because the Rays have an, a stud shortstop and Wander Franco, but whatever. Um, the Cubs finished 72 and 90. The Angels beat the Phillies in the World Series, which I thought was hilarious. So Shohei got a ring right there. So before 2024, what I did was I gave Shohei a backloaded 35 million, because that's the max, 35 million per year for 15 years till he's 44 uh, with a player option, which he accepted immediately. I also got Josh Hader because there was a budget to spend on. I went over the budget, which I didn't try to, but the game is weird and doesn't tell you how you're doing. So I was like, whatever. And I turned that off just in case, too. So we got Josh Hader, the computer auto signed Carl Edwards Jr. in the offseason, whatever. Um, <laughs> So yeah, Welcome it was back. pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So and we did we like went way over budget too on accident, but my bad. Um, so I want you guys to take a guess. I want to hear guesses. How long it took after getting Otani for the Cubs to win the World Series in this world? Twenty twenty four. Any any other attempts? First year. Nick. He said 2025. I can't hear him, but I saw his lips. Uh, yeah, it was one year. We, we won in the first year. Um, <laughs> so what's funny, though, is we actually started off horrible. Uh, like the Cubs could not get any like ground. Like we were we were we were losing. We were below 500 most of the season. It wasn't until like mid-September that they went or like, yeah, like early September that they went on a hot streak and we got like a wild card berth. We finished 86 and 76. Shohei Otani won the MVP. He pitched over 200 innings. 231 strikeouts, which led the MLB. He hit 52 home runs, which led the MLB. He hit 137 RBIs, which led the MLB. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I played, uh, I did play a couple World Series games. I played game five and game six. We won in six against the Yankees. We, I lost game five. And then on game six, I poured it on against Garrett Cole, which included a Christopher Morrell three run bomb. Morel won the World Series MVP. Shohei won the playoff MVP. So, what's the point to all of this? Well, Jed, if you're listening, and I know you are, if you want to win the World Series next year, buddy, you just sign Shohei Otani and we'll get there. We will do anything. I will start a GoFundMe. I will run a GoFundMe in order to sign Shohei Otani. I don't <laughs> care. It will be worth it. I agree. I concur. I will, right. I will uh, contribute to that. <laughs> uh nick is your mic working again it is not uh -oh. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. oh no oh no oh no right before it um, <laughs> that's all right i'll do his 184 and what is this 186 his says uh he has nothing okay so <laughs> nick decola is a boy um, he's very much a, a boy in this podcast He's a funny boy. Okay, so uh, here, I, I can share. He gave me permission because I had brought up the idea of doing my favorite Nick Nicola heckles. <laughs> oh, no, is my, it's still <laughs> not working. I can't figure it out. Oh, it's still not working, oh, buddy. No. Oh, no. All right, so I'm, I'm going to share. It back in. Let's go. I'm going to share one of my favorite Nick stories in the meantime to, to give him a little time here. 
So I don't know who was there, but we all went to Miller Park as Cub fans when we were about 20 years old. And Nick is probably the best heckler I know, hands down. Nick is the best I know. So we're all sober because we're underage, heckling at the Brewers, uh, yelling things like juicer and stuff like that for Ryan Braun because this was back when Ryan Braun was on the team and getting all excited. And this was back when the Cubs were good. So, you know, we were being obnoxious. And the lady in front of us, it, it was hot. So the lady in front of us had taken her jersey off. She's just wearing a tank top. And Nick got a little excited during one of his heckles and accidentally spit a little bit. I remember this. I was there. Oh, you were there. Okay. So Nick accidentally spits on this lady back and she turns around and just goes, excuse me, that is disgusting. You need to clean that up and hands Nick her jersey to wipe off her back. And Nick just takes it and goes, um, Sorry, and <laughs> just starts doing this gentle, like, Mr. Miyagi wax on, wax off motions. And, of course, again, the three of us are 1920 at the time, and so we're just dying laughing, thinking this is hilarious. And uh, I think the year before, we'd gone to a Cubs-Cardinals game at Wrigley, and we were getting into it with some Cardinals fans who were our age. And at the end of the game, you know, it was very much like, all right, hey, we had fun, handshake, you know, everybody was all good. So we tried shaking these people's hands at the end of the game and they were middle-aged. So I don't think they appreciated us very much. And they just looked at us like, no, and then just walked away. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. My, uh, was, I, I have a, a Nick Heck, I have a Nick heckling story as well. My favorite Nick heckling story was, uh, I, we went to a bears game two years ago, uh, Justin Fields first, second start, first start home against the lions. Um, oh, is this the one I was at? Yes, yes, you were there. Okay. So you were there yeah. as well. But <laughs> what was funny about this was that uh, Nick, during football games, when the other team has the ball and there's a passing play, he will literally say every single time, his catchphrase, his go-to catchphrase is, kill him, literally kill him. <laughs> and he was going off of that whenever Jared Goff dropped back to pass. And it was it was so obnoxious that all the dudes – Everyone around us was dying of laughter, singularly because Nick was just going to town on his favorite catchphrase at football games. So that that is my that is my favorite Nick heckling story. My, my favorite Nick heckling story is simply is a quick one. One of his go to like we went again. We were playing the Brewers, I think, and he would say, "I can't remember what player he said, but he's like this player wears sunglasses indoors," and that one. <laughs> I don't know why that, that was, one of all heckling phrases sent me so bad, but uh, that was, yeah, that was the same game. That was, uh, I went, I had a couple of friends when I went to Loyola, Chicago that uh, lived in Wisconsin. And so we met them at the game. Uh, one of them was actually a Cubs fan. The other was a Brewers fan. And it the game went 13 freaking innings. And uh, so we were all just coming up with crazy hack. I think mine was so-and-so reads Nicholas Sparks novels for fun. And then this guy around and was like, what's wrong with that? <laughs> so I think, uh, unfortunately, Nick, you Sorry, got one Nick. more try. Is it still, still not working? Yeah, we get it. All right. All right. Cool. So 
Um, I'll get in touch with Nick. Actually, hold on a minute. I have an I. No, I don't have my phone out. Crap. No, nah, just, 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 nah, just, yeah. Okay. Just, we'll yeah, we'll wrap it up for week. this week. Um, Nick, I'm going to have you, if you want to record, if you can figure it out, record your 180 because I definitely want to put that up. But uh, record your 180, send it to me or put it on YouTube yourself and we can go from there. Um, so unfortunately, we'll have to to leave it there. Nick said his was going to be funny too. <laughs> it just was horrible timing. But uh, yeah. anyway, as always, thank you all for watching slash listening. Uh, we are having a blast doing this. Love bringing it to you guys every week. If you could, if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, or subscribe, all that wonderful stuff so that we can get our name out there and uh, make it a little bigger and better. If you're listening, podcast, Apple Pop, podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, same deal. If you guys wouldn't mind uh, sharing, make sure you check us out on Facebook. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Four Star Pod Shy C H I. Uh, Tig is at T 7 The ghost of Nick is at Endicola twenty one. And you can check Andrew out at AJ Freeman twenty five. Like we had mentioned before, you can check out his other work on uh, the Bear Report at 247sports.com and the Picks for Polls podcast. All right. Thank you guys so much. And we'll be back ranting and raving again next week. Hope you have a good one. Thanks, guys.